Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Uh, Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, counselor at Beechwood High School, and I'm here with Joel Ford, counselor at Connor High School. Our producer, Mike Piergowski, is, well, actually a pretty good tennis player. We played once for about 30 seconds until my racket sports theory of equilibrium kicked in and we just had to goof off for a while. I'm curious what that theory is. It, the, I, I'm going to tell you. Another episode. No, no. I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. If you don't have really similar abilities in any racket sport, ping pong, racquetball, tennis, it's not fun at all. Not at all. Not at all. I, I believe that theory. We have some exciting things, though, planned for this episode where we look at youth sports and some myths about college athletic scholarships. We're going to start this episode off a bit differently than we normally do. We need to. The past few episodes, we've looked at just current news and trends, but this is such a big topic. We want to start with an interview segment, um, and that should help set the stage for the rest of our discussion. Um, We want to make sure we devote plenty of time to covering youth sports and college athletic scholarships as fully as possible. So, Chris, why don't you uh, introduce us to today's first special guest? Absolutely. I I think before I do that, I'd say that this is probably our first episode where we didn't know all the things beforehand. Right. You know, we had to do a lot of research, talk to a lot of people, and that's where a couple interviews come on. But we are excited to speak with Mark Steinlogge, Associate Dean of Admissions for St. Louis University and President's Council Coordinator for NACAC, where he's also serving a one-year term on the Board of Directors. Prior to working at SLU, Mark was an admission counselor and associate director of admissions at Rockhurst University in Kansas City, where he also earned both his BS in marketing and an MBA. He'll be able to educate us further on scholarships from the college perspective. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. We're really excited to have you. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, we've talked offline a little bit, but let's let's... Let's jump right in. One of the big things Joel and I need to need to understand, and, and our viewers are well, not really viewers, our listeners need to understand, is, is uh, how how scholarships are allotted, uh, athletic scholarships in particular, allotted in college. Sure, I think you know, whenever students are looking at athletic programs at colleges across the country, the allocations are different depending on the division. So NCAA Division One, Two, Three, um, NAIA, and and JCAA, so, so junior colleges. For men's sports, basketball and football are, are what's considered headcount sports. Um, for women's sports, basketball, uh, gymnastics, tennis, and volleyball are considered headcount sports, So, which means for every student who's recruited to play on those teams, they're getting a full, a full scholarship. Um, otherwise, depending on coaches' needs and positions they may have open or who's graduating, uh, among other factors, that's how their scholarship dollars may be allocated to to fill those particular spots, um, again, based on those factors I mentioned before. So do different sports get different amounts? Uh, total scholarships, yes. So just to use a quick example, in NCAA Division One baseball, there's 11.7 scholarships to go around to the entire team, and an active roster is 24 players. So a coach has to actively figure out 
how he wants to spread those 11.7 scholarships to recruit the most uh, or the, the most competitive team that he or she can find uh, moving forward. And that's set by the NCAA? It is. Yeah, the NCAA uh, regulates and, and, and sets all these rules uh, based on clearinghouse information and other checks and balances for quality control they have. They verify that coaches aren't going beyond these scholarship allotments. Uh, that would also apply to, for example, grant assistance that a student may get from uh, the admission and or financial aid office. Uh, there are certain limitations as to how athletic scholarships can stack with uh, grant assistance in those scholarships and financial aid awards. So th- when you say grant assistance, you're talking about need-based aid? Exactly right, yeah. So for example, the federal Pell Grant, that can be stacked with, with NCAA scholarships. But if there's an endowment scholarship, um, typically referred to as grant assistance or something similar on financial aid award, there are limitations as to how those can be stacked. Uh, otherwise, theoretically, schools could just give students a an athletic scholarship for a certain amount and then fund the difference with grant assistance, which would then not represent a level playing field for each school. Hmm. This is good because I did not understand how that went, right. honestly. So can, you mentioned the headcount sports just really quickly. I'm, I'm curious because when I did my research, I, I saw those sports and I thought, okay, well, football and, and basketball, those are revenue-generating sports typically. But any idea why the other three, the, the three particular sports – are included on that headcount list of, of scholarships. So just to clarify, you're asking why compared to the women's list, why, why there's not why it's tennis, gymnastics, and volleyball over say softball or some other sport. Oh, that's a great question. I really don't know the dean or details as to why certain scholar or certain sports are considered head headcount sports. Um, there's I'm sure there's some history to it and, and very very clear rules or reasons as to why, uh, but I. I don't know that answer off the top of my head. I'm going to have to research that, and that's going to be breaking news. That'll be breaking news on the next podcast. We'll go to Indianapolis, get a hold of the NCAA there you go. And, and find that. So one thing I I experienced a few years ago is is I had a, a student that was pretty highly recruited nationally. Oh, yeah. And yeah. ended up playing Division I athletics. Um, and and it was kind of odd because all of the contact that I really had while he was going through the recruitment process and sending transcripts and things, there was actually somebody in the athletic office that was like the, like an academic compliance officer or, or something along those lines. And that's, that was who my main person to communicate with was. I'm just curious, just in general, what's the, what's the communication like between admissions, financial aid, athletics? Like, how do all those groups come together? Sure. That's somewhat variable by the division as well. So, you know, as you guys mentioned before, I worked at Rockhurst to start, um, and that's an NCAA Division II school. St. Louis University, of course, is a Division I school. So from a Division I perspective, the admission process begins with kind of a uh, an early awareness, if you will, for the coaches as to whether or not the student they're recruiting or the athlete they're recruiting is admissible. So for example, I get a, it's, we use a Google form from the athletic office and when our basketball coach Travis Ford is recruiting a player from anywhere in the world, um, they'll submit a, an early admission um, 
document, basically. And I give them an understanding as to whether or not the student would be admitted based on the GPA and, and, and transcript, uh, or the GPA and um, test score they provide. At the Division II level, it's a lot more blended. Um, and I would even say at the NAI level, it's very, very blended as well. Um, at some institutions, quite honestly, some coaches have quotas uh, to where they're going to recruit students well beyond the scholarship amounts offered to help fill their freshman class. Uh, I know there's a lot of discussions that could be had about the good, the good idea and the bad idea associated with that. Um, but just because a student is recruited doesn't mean they're going to be guaranteed a scholarship, uh, nor does it mean they're guaranteed playing time. Uh, because some of those schools, again, are very in cahoots between athletics, admissions, and financial aid. So just make sure you're having those conversations um, as you guys are, you know, of course, guiding students so they know exactly what they're getting in for. Just because they're being recruited doesn't mean that they're going to get playing time. That's interesting. I mean, I, I don't want to get you in a fight with uh, legend, Kentucky legend Travis Ford. But, uh, but you know, do you ever find, maybe not even in this, in this job or in this role right now, but do you ever find yourself kind of in conflict, potentially, information-wise, or just with, 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 with the coaches and the admissions office? Sure. I think, you know, a lot of that just depends on timing. So, for example, a coach will submit a, and this isn't just basketball, a coach may submit an early admission form and, you know, give them an indication that a student is admissible. And the next thing we read in the paper is that the student has signed a national letter of intent to, to attend St. Louis University. Um, and sometimes the admission information <laughs> or the application is just getting finished, if you will. Um, and I realize that a, a, a letter of intent, intent is different than being admitted and going through the actual NLI process. Um, but, but yeah, I, I wouldn't define it as conflict. I would just define it sometimes as timing um, as it relates to a student being recruited, verbally committing to attend, yet we still have to complete all of the formalities of admission and scholarship and letters of intent and those sorts of things. Recruiting to me seems like a process where coaches are really trying to attract kids. I know that sounds silly to say it that way, but in that process of trying to attract kids, I feel like they maybe don't explain that whole process sometimes and and i and that's where some of the myths and some of the the discrepancies kind of come like, up in our office like where kids will tweet that they've received an offer as a as a sophomore or something but yeah at the end of the day what is, are they do they really know what that means and what it still doesn't guarantee right kind of, and know? and i love your point mark about the playing time uh as well because i mean that i feel like and maybe it falls into the same category as yield in your office, but they have to recruit. I think what I hear you saying is they've got to recruit more people than they need sometimes because they're going to only yield a certain amount. Yeah, for example, I was recently in conversation with uh, a gentleman um, in, in our parish. We have sons on the same soccer team. But anyway, he used to coach for an NAIA school. Um, he was a volleyball coach, and on any given volleyball court, there's seven players at a time. Yet annually – his quota was 42 players. Um, oh, wow. So so 42 players potentially times four years equals, what, for nearly 170 students for seven spots on the court. Uh, now, naturally, there's going to be some attrition with students who get their freshman year and, and decide not to continue their volleyball career. Um, 
but 42 annually for seven spots, that's, that's tough. That's really tough. And I'd like to let that just sink in for a moment for our listeners, any listener who's a parent, because I, I, th- I think the, the feeling is just hearing talk in the community, like my kid is going to play college basketball. Well, baseball, football maybe isn't the best example, but my kid's got a baseball scholarship. But it's hard to determine what that means. And that's part of the impetus for this podcast episode, which is like, what does that, what does that really mean in terms of, in terms of value in some sense? What do you think you're getting versus what are you really getting? Right, you know, right. In that scenario, you've only got a 16% chance, you know, 7 out of 42. That's And, that, and that's assuming that sophomore, junior, and senior students that were recruited are no longer there. Right. Are no longer competing for a spot. Sure, right. So, yeah, I mean, I would say at the very minimum, there's probably – you know, let's say conservatively 100 students competing for seven spots. Uh, it doesn't increase your percentages very much, but even still, it's just, yeah, it's a lot. So my understanding is for the for the scholarships that are not headcount scholarships, you get a certain amount of scholarships determined by the NCA, correct? Correct. But how you divide them up, like it, it, you could give half scholarships to twice as many kids, is that correct? Exactly right, yeah. So, again, just kind of throwing a sport out there. So, men's uh, men's volleyball, or let's say men's water polo, 4.5 scholarships at the NCAA Division One level. Um, I, not being a water polo expert, I don't know how many how many players are on the, in the water at the same time. But, but yeah, I mean, so they, they got to be careful not to overextend money to a short number of, or a smaller number of players. Otherwise, they'll either A, shorten their roster, or they or B, they won't be as competitive. So who's in, um, who's in charge of determining how that's split? Is that is that the school administration? Is that the athletic director? Is it the coach? It's the coach. Wow. Right. So the coach for water polo has four and a half scholarships. Let's since I'm not a water polo expert either. Let's say there's nine 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 swimmers out there if they're called swimmers, and that's and maybe there's a team of twenty. And my guess would be that, that the people who've played for three years and their seniors who are starting probably get the bigger scholarships as compared to incoming freshmen, uh, if, they're, if they're getting anything at all. Theoretically, yeah. Again, it, it also depends on kind of what we mentioned before, financial need and or merit scholarships. Um, you know, one thing I always warn students, depending on the type of school they're going to and the other scholarships they're getting – just because their athletic scholarship in particular may not be what they were hoping for, they need to consider the entire financial aid award package. Um, so, yeah, in theory, the best players get the most scholarship money, but there's so many different variables to play into how much a coach needs to offer to get that student to commit. Um, that may mean that you know a student that, that um, they really, really need may only get, say, 25% as opposed to a player that is very, very important, but more of a role player who isn't bringing as much to the table based on financial need or merit may get 50% or 75%. Just want to clarify real quick for our listeners, thanks to our producer, Mike, there are seven players in the water and a water polo match each time. Six swimmers, one goalie. Perfect. Now you just got schooled on water polo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, all right. Uh, I know what I was going to ask. So, so... Do you think if, a, if you have a student who is highly qualified academically and they get a lot of merit-based money, they get a lot of grant money, does that hurt their, their recruitment at all with the coaches in that, oh, well, I don't, need to, I don't need to use the scholarship for them? 
I'll I'll recruit somebody else. I, you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I, I would say actually the opposite. I would say, I'd say it helps it them. I'd say it helps. Yeah, because because the the coach could spend less. Let's say for example that student, uh, the coach wants to get that student to full tuition, so the coach would have to spend less athletic money to get the student to full tuition compared to a student who isn't as successful in the classroom or with his test score, his or her test score, to um, to start with a merit scholarship, which then could be stacked with athletic scholarship to get to full tuition. So a student wouldn't see that as a slight as long as their college education is paid for. <laughs> they get their money from somewhere. Right. And that's we, we train our students that. We, we know that there are very few situations where academically they're going to get all the money they need. So we're talking about local scholarships, scholarships from the school, financial aid, work study. So all, you know, our financial aid packages are from five or six different places. And if one of those places happens to be some academics or some athletics, rather, then then we're happy. What I think we're going to get to in this episode is that people think that their really good baseball player is going to get college paid for through baseball. And that's not likely the case. They're in the same situation everyone else is in, which is how do you put together a financial aid package with with all of the pieces? Correct. I have a big question. This goes back a little bit to not that we want to talk about varsity blues because that is a, that is an issue that I think is is a one off in some ways, um, and it's not an admissions issue. We've talked about that on board meetings, Mark. It's not a, this is not an admissions scandal. This was a, 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 a the admissions offices were lied to. This is this is no one in any admissions office did anything wrong at any university. Um, it was more of a of a bad actors and, and an athletic issue. But that leads it's a long intro to this question, which is how much influence does a coach have in the admissions office, especially for a highly recruited athlete? Sure. Um, I think we could talk about that for a really, really long time. Uh, And I think it depends on on a number of different things. Uh, You know, to use the term influence, uh, you know, what I always like to think of in terms of admission is, you know, students are great additions to institutions for many, many, many different reasons. Um, You know, when it comes to college admissions, the first thing most people think of is test scores, GPA, academic ability. That being said, even if a prospective athlete, for example, may not be at the top of their class academically, they still have something of very, very important to bring to that institution. Um, so I think coaches will take it from that angle. Um, you know, it would be very rare, in my opinion, for a coach to be able to have a quote-unquote open admission policy compared to um, a student who applies through a traditional path not being able to to get in um, as easily. So given that many coaches are recruiting some of the best athletes in the entire country or even best athletes in the entire world, um, I think that would play into, into the influence that they have for sure. Uh, just from a recognition standpoint, I mean, from St. Louis University's perspective, people know the Billikens because of a lot of reasons, but when we go to the NCAA tournament in basketball, more people know what a Billiken is or that the mascot of St. Louis University is the Billikens. Uh, so I think that's the influence that plays into the, the decisions of presidents, for example, as they might make exceptions for admission policies and practices for prospective athletes. Um, you know, so when they when they use that to, to better the name and, and uh, national or even global recognition of the school, that's the influence that would exist in my mind. It's a value add. I mean, we talk about that here. Beachwood takes tuition students and 
you know, I would, honestly, we've taken kids with all kinds of talents, um, and we don't solely look at academics. We, we have a certain level we really want to get to, but um, it was an honorary Billiken. Uh, I see myself, anyway, as an honorary, as an honorary Billiken after the Moaca conference and, right. and uh, hanging out with your team. Uh, I, I, I would imagine your apps go up when you have a good tournament. A, a little bit. The interesting part about that is while applications go up, and you can say this for you know any school who's been in the Final Four, say in the past 20 years or whatever it might be, there's actually no significant data that proves an enrollment increase is connected to a Final Four or national championship. So to your point, yes, applications do tend to tick up a little bit with that national exposure. But it doesn't increase a student affinity to where it would result in uh, enrolling a, a larger class. So we have we have so one anyway. we, we, we have one final question for you. Yes, possibly the most important question of, <laughs> of the episode. But what what is a billikin exactly? The formal response to that is it's a good luck charm that represents things as they ought to be. Whoa. That's Easy deep. enough, that's right? Deep, that's deep, Mark. That's, that's a, deep. A good luck charm that represents things as they ought to be. So, well, if you, if you want to know inf- more information about what a billiken is, you let me write to it. Come on over and visit campus sometime. We'll happy to take good care of you. You know what's funny? How awesome that response was. And I'm thinking, I, my undergrad's from Western Kentucky. So we're the Hilltoppers. And our, our mascot is the personification of a hill. And then you come up with... It's what things ought to be like. Jeez, like in my I was I'm Ohio State and we're a poisonous nut. <laughs> so, so there's that. Yeah, there, there's a whole deeper meaning to it with our mission and all that kind of stuff. Wow. But, uh, maybe for another episode, yeah, we'll get maybe, into that. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a break. Let's do it. And then we'll be we'll be right back with more get schooled by Reeves and Ford. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Let's talk about youth sports and athletic scholarships. Joel, tell us everything we need to know about how athletic scholarships work. Well, actually, Mark did a, a really good job kind of going over some of uh, the basics. I want to add a little bit to what he uh, talked about. A lot of this you can actually find online through USA Today. Uh, but the ju- internet? The internet. All I think right. it's going to stick around. All right. Um, but just as a point of clarification, there are two major Um, Athletic associations, the NCAA and the NAIA. Uh, With the NCAA, you have Division I, Division II, and Division III. Um, Division I and II can award athletic scholarships, and that's where we were talking about headcount scholarships versus um, allotments. Division III, by rule, cannot offer athletic scholarships. Um, So what a lot of times those schools, because they tend to be smaller, um, they will work, like Mark was talking about, with merit-based scholarships, institutional grants, um, that kind of stuff. So... Um, a lot of times, you know, one thing to think about, a lot of times you really want to analyze the financial aid package between a Division three school and maybe those one and two schools because you may actually find out your financial aid package is better through the Division three school because they have more sources of, of aid available because to we, students. Because we need to think of it as a financial aid package. Package, not as an athletic scholarship. That's right. Okay, so again, it's taking the focus away from 
I've got to have an athletic scholarship to I'm financing my college education. And athletics is part of it. And I'm playing sports on on top of it. Uh, The other thing, some other things to think about, remember that uh, those scholarships for the most part um, need to be renewed every year um, with with a little bit of an exception, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, They're guaranteed one year at a time. Um, If you're injured, if you become academically ineligible, if they change coaches and the coach doesn't want to allocate a scholarship to you, you can not have a scholarship the next year. Um, And so, um, you know, the information in USA Today talked about make sure that you're satisfied with the college as well as the athletic program. That's a great piece of advice. Um, NAIA, they have Division I and II. Um, They can provide full or partial athletic scholarships, um, and they've got a ton of different sports and things as well. So um, one thing that I was asking about before, and just to kind of clarify some more, when a coach extends a verbal scholarship offer to an athlete, it's non-binding. So, Like both ways? So, yeah, so, yeah, neither. So when a student says, I'm a sophomore and I've gotten an offer from Nick Saban to play at Alabama, well, that's great. But, again, it's not final. It's not final. It's not final. Not final. So until what's called the National Letter of Intent is signed, um, nothing is binding. Okay? Um, that's not to say that the, the verbal offers aren't worth something because, obviously, the coach is interested in you. Sure. Is thinking about you becoming a part of their program. But, again, until that signature is on, on the line on the National Letter of Intent, um, nothing is set in stone. Um, NCA did come up with a rule in 2012 uh, to provide multi-year scholarships in some cases. Um, and also um, the Power Five conferences. So um, within the NCA Division I in football, there is the football bowl subdivision and there is the football championship subdivision. The bowl subdivision, there are 10 um, different conferences. The Power Five would be the SEC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC. Um, they agreed to implement a rule that prevented multi-year D1 scholarships from being canceled uh, for any athletic reason. Okay, So in that case, you have multi-year um, athletic scholarships, but it's not the norm. Okay, Even though the Big Ten has 12 teams and the Big 12 has eight? Eight teams, and yeah. Um, so it, it's... But this, but this they get right. Right. They, they do provide some protection uh, for those students, okay? Um, like we said, it, it's possible for them to lose an athletic scholarship. Um, but, but, again, the big thing comes back to that national letter of intent. If you sign a national letter of intent, the coach who offers you the scholarship leaves the program, your contract with the school remains. Um, so think of it as a contract okay. uh, for your athletic services. Um, keep in mind, though, if it's a one-year scholarship, then the next year the new coach, again, may decide I'm going to allocate my scholarships to somebody else. Okay? Um, so it sounds to me like, just thinking of it thematically, is that there, there are some guarantee out there, but there's a lot of, that's not guaranteed. Right. I mean, your health, obviously, is not guaranteed. Your academic standing, obviously, is not guaranteed. But to to count on on these scholarships is is tough. It's a great thing. It's it's in my mind, it's an amazing way to help pay for college. But you just have to be aware as a family and an athlete. Well and the, the analogy that came to my head when Mark was talking was getting an athletic scholarship should be the icing on the cake. 
Yeah. It should not be the cake. Uh, that's that's going to be a perfect segue into what I'm going to talk about. You know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and I think just because I know what you're going to talk about, I think a lot of times there's a perception from parents, from youth coaches, whatever, that getting an athletic scholarship is the be all end all. And as you're about to tell us, not so much. So, Chris, how do you sports play into all this? Because that's where it starts. It, it is, and that's why I think you texted me earlier this week and said, is this episode about college scholarships for athletics, or is this episode about youth sports? And I, I want to talk about youth sports because I've talked to a lot of parents. I've been around a lot of youth sports where there's so much talk about, I have to do these things to get a scholarship. But I, I, I do better with examples. So picture this. Eight-year-old Mikey. Decent little soccer player, eight years old. Mom and dad are so happy about that and really enjoy the tournaments. Uh, the local rec league isn't that challenging for him because he's a really good little player. So what do you do? You're a parent. You sign him up for uh, a higher team, maybe a bigger club. Uh, this is not a real club. Uh, so we'll call it the CSC, the Cougar Soccer Club, going back to my Connor days and your current Connor days. Um, so our fictional club is the is the Cougar Soccer Club. So uh, Mikey, Mikey's playing uh, soccer for this club. The uh, Cougar Soccer Club has three or four levels of play within each age group, and the price kind of goes up with each level. Okay. Um, and what they will do, the club owners, and and I guess you know you're going to probably get a, a feeling that I've got somewhat of a negative take on some of these clubs, but the the club will define it as commitment. And here's what I mean by that. Mikey's 10 now. Okay. Two years in the lowest, uh, higher than rec league, lower level on the club team. Mikey's 10. He's doing well. So here's what they're, here's what they're asked. Mikey and his parents are asked, um, how committed are you? And you hear your answers. Like, no, nah, I'm not that committed, so I'll stay on this cheaper club and practice just two days a week. Or... Hell yeah, we're committed. I mean, of course, of course we're committed. We love soccer. We're committed. So you signed up for an extra thousand for the year and two more travel tournaments, but you are committed. And again, Mikey's a good little soccer player. Um, and, and you'll also be told you need exposure. If you, without being on this team, colleges aren't going to see you. If they don't see you, you won't get money to pay for college. Okay, and this is the first level of what I think is ridiculous because Mikey is 10. Mikey's 10. At this age. Mikey might actually already be in speed training. So you've got your soccer club, but then Mikey maybe isn't fast enough. So to get Mikey faster, then you pay. So, you know, you have practice on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, games on Saturdays, Sundays, tournaments, you know, whatever. But then, you know, you've got Friday, Tuesdays and Fridays are clear. So maybe, maybe uh, Friday nights is speed training. Right. And because you got to be better, you got to push hard, you got to be committed. You got to be committed. But again, Mikey's 10. Mikey's 10. So the following year, uh, he's starting, he's doing well. Uh, Mikey and his parents are asked to move up to another club. I mean, how flattering is that? Your kid's awesome. Come to the next level. Mikey, come to the next level. You're, you're a great player. Uh, he's 12. And let's, let's say he's invited to be on the top team in the club. 
we're just going to skip ahead. I mean, he's doing that well. He's invited to the top team, the CSC uh, Elite Warrior Princes. I don't know. That's fictional. But the word elite sometimes that shows up. It always makes it sound better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the word elite's in there, something like that. And he's told, you need more exposure. More exposure. Colleges need to see you. So we ask you, Mikey and parents, are you committed? Are you committed? I mean, how do you say, no, I'm not committed? How do you say, how do you turn down that invitation? And I bet they're already like, you know, we've invested three years already into you. Yeah. Like, We're going, keep going. Yeah, keep going. Um, don't worry. I'll get into sports are great for kids. They're great for kids. I, I will address that, I promise. Mm-hmm. But right now, I'm just I'm concerned about Mikey, Mikey's family. Because they're shelling out all kinds of money at this point. Because they're now now to get that kind of exposure, uh, we'll we'll do a little math here in a minute. You know I like mm-hmm. to do math. I know you like math. Yeah. So so I mean Mikey has already had additional private conditioning lessons. Uh, maybe something called speed training. Like I said, uh, the seasons have run from August to December and February to June. So we're talking about a year-round sport. When we get to our next interview, we'll be talking about uh, the the singular year-round sports issue uh, from his end. Uh, we'll be talking to an athletic trainer and talk about that a little bit. But in uh, some of these club kids don't even play for their high school. They don't play for their high school. Uh, so if Mikey says yes, the family is committing to nationwide travel, minimum three days a week, 30 to 40 matches, maybe more, uh, and all for what? To get into college? Sure. If, if Mikey's one of the top one or two players on the top club team, it could help. It could help. You know, but these teams hold about 20 maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know every sport, but but this is this is definitely analogous, similar to all the other uh, club sports out there. And if you think about some of these sports, football is one of the only sports that doesn't have club sports, which makes me kind of a fan in some way because because football coaches want their kids to be on track. They want their kids to play other, run cross country, play other things, mm-hmm. maybe be wrestlers in the winter, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, so there you go, 30, 40 matches, maybe more, and all for what? Getting into college, maybe. Um, we've got 20 kids on a team. So if you, you've got maybe two who are in line for these biggest um, kind of pushes toward that scholarship package, you know, what are the 18 other people? Paying and sacrificing for. Well, um, and we learned men's soccer is not a headcount sport. No, it's not. So there's no guarantee yeah. that he's even going to get a full scholarship. Probably won't. Right. It's Probably won't get a full scholarship. And heck, there's only 11 starters. Mm-hmm. So if it's carrying 20 teams on a like very high-level club traveling team, and nine of them aren't starting. Right. I mean, if you're lucky, you would only carry 15 or something like that. But right. then, uh, but you still have people not starting who are sacrificing that much. Uh, and, okay, so, so is it to get scholarships? Same thing. You know, that's, like, that's the part, in my mind, it's criminal when it comes to the, when it comes to the clubs. It, it, it feels like a big money grab to me, and they act like they need to take 20 kids to Los Angeles when it's really about maybe one or two people being seen. And if you're from Kentucky, West Virginia, Tennessee, wherever in this, in this region, do you need to go to Los Angeles for a showcase 
so that you can play college soccer for a partial scholarship that's a small part of your financial aid package. I, I have a huge issue with it. But I think, to quote a uh, show I used to watch in the 90s, parents just don't understand <laughs> that, that you're, you're, you're trying to accomplish something that doesn't exist, which is a full soccer scholarship. Right. If you're a top nationwide recruit and, and you're in your senior year, maybe you do. Maybe you, maybe you get that. Maybe you get that. But, but, the, but the number of people who get that versus the number of people who play men's soccer collegiately, that's got to be such a, a small, small, small percentage. Oh, it's, it's minute. I mean, but it's everybody thinks, this is generalizing, so I apologize for that, but I'll just say it this way. Every, everybody thinks that their kid's that kid. Right. <laughs> kind of. So I want, I want to hear the math because th- this is the part that gets me. All right, these are general, broad numbers. I didn't look up hotel prices to come up with these numbers. I did not look up airline tickets. I did not. And I think I underestimated the cost. So we'll do a little math. 10 years of club fees, uh, increasing each year to get to the top club. I'm going to put that at about $15,000. For five years, we'll say two regional travel tournaments. Uh, For another five years, I'll say two regional and two national travel tournaments. I'll put $15,000 on that. That alone, I'll put... Thirty-five, thirty-five thousand on. That doesn't include like your normal Saturday stuff where you get food and like that, who cares? Right. Like that's 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 just whatever. Uh, that happens whether you're on a rec league or not on a rec league sort of thing. On a recreational basis, or even like a low level, low commitment club team, let's say you're investing about ten thousand dollars over the ten years, and that can be done. I'm also not talking gear. That's all the same. Gear is going to be expensive. You know, hockey gear is expensive. Lacrosse gear is expensive. All the gear, all that's expensive. That's fine. That's part of parenting. It's part of letting your kids be involved. I'm not even adding that up. I'm just saying these 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 club prices and these travel prices. So the difference I see is tw- about twenty five thousand. That's a full year at a state school. That's what gets me. That that alone, your kid can play sports, or your kid can spend thirty five thousand dollars chasing something that's actually not there and still have to have the state school bill and still have to pay the state school bill but that's a full year at a state school that doesn't even cost investing it 10 years ago right i mean maybe you have more than twenty-five thousand if you invested it in anything that got higher than one percent so but if it's a money thing if it's just a money thing if you if you're a family and you think i'm just investing just for the money stop stop right now put your money in a college savings plan but so so here's where I, I do back off some. So all all three of my stepchildren have played sports, and I feel like it's taught them a lot of things that that make them better humans. That the teamwork, commitment, learning how to handle success, learning how to handle failure, lots of things that transfer to to all parts of life. Uh, I I think kids need to be involved. One of the things I like about my school is that most of our kids are involved in something. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the bowling team, whether it's the chess club, whether it's uh, football, color guard, whatever it is, most of, our, most of our kids are involved in something. That's why we have a good school. Um, so lots, uh, again, I'll repeat that, lots of things that will transfer to all parts of life. My contention is that this, this frenzy of youth sports is unnecessary, and kids learn these lessons without parents being freaks about it. 
You're, they will learn those things mm-hmm. without being freaks. Go to a little league game and watch these people. I sit in the stands, and it's it's. I mean, this is this is separate from like the fighting you see on the news and that sort of thing. But it's it's ridiculous. I mean, everyone listening knows. Go to an eight year old soccer game. Go to go to a t ball game, and listen listen to the parents. Listen, to, I sit there and just think these people are crazy. <laughs> I. You know, I mean, in some ways I get it. I know people are trying to do the best for their kids. They think they need to, to push their kids. And, and, and they do in some sense. But I just wish they were more informed about the scholarship side of things. Because if they knew the truth, they wouldn't make so many sacrifices with, with time and money. We haven't even gotten to burnout and injuries yet. Uh, but you know what? Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have a special guest to help us understand the physical impact of youth sport and perhaps a little more about scholarship opportunities. All right, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Chris, why don't you introduce our next guest? As mentioned, Brandon Slusher is Beachwood's athletic trainer. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's get started right away. Uh, these are things Joel and I and producer Mike have been talking about for a while. Uh, biggest question so far, have you seen any increase in sports-related injuries in your, in your time uh, as an athletic trainer? And if so, what do you think some of the causes are? Uh, I have. Um Depending on the sport, uh, I do see a lot more sports-related injuries when it comes to overuse. So you're going to – it's hard to predict, you know, the the contact injuries, you know, if you're going to see more or less or whatever. Um, But when it comes to overuse injuries, I am seeing a lot more. And the the reason I think it's happening is because of sports specialization. And for those who are unaware, uh, specialization is defined as picking one sport and just only focusing on it. Uh, whether it be year-round, um, you know, eight months out of the year, nine months out of the year, but just doing the one sport constantly. Um, and when it comes to that, I'm just seeing kids breaking down because they're not resting. There's no rest. They, they don't have sure. – they're, okay. you know, they're playing – when it comes to, uh, you know, reversing basketball, um, these kids on the, on the, the travel AAU circuit, they're playing three, four games in a day over – a three, four day weekend. So they could be racking up, you know, 10 plus games in and one that's weekend. just in one weekend. And it's, they're breaking down, their bodies are breaking down. And it's, it, so what do you see then when, when, like, how does that present itself to you? Uh, just, you know, I wake up and, and then these, we're talking, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old kids who they're not supposed to wake up and say, man, my body aches. <laughs> so that's what I like, do. Correct. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Like, hey, my, I feel like a 40-year-old. I've had kids mention that, man, my dad's always complaining, and I, I feel like him. And they're just they're waking up, back soreness, knee soreness. Now, some of that is normal, um, but we're just seeing that parlay into, you know, f- injuries, you know, micro fractures and, and, and shin splints and stuff that we shouldn't see that early. So if a kid's playing a reasonable amount, you should you probably won't see those things. No, um, generally no. I mean, it's hard. To, again, it's hard to predict that, but yeah, it's you generally don't see it. But in your experience, you've seen it happening more and more. Correct. Yeah, more and more. So, so I'm curious because I, 
I've always had this perception that that kids are at least once upon a time they were athletic stars. So they they played football, then they ran into basketball season, then they went to baseball season and different things. When do you think that specialization happened? And why do you think it happened? Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's been more recent. Um, I, gosh, without any, you know, direct evidence, I'd say within the last 10 years, because you're seeing these these leagues pop up and guys are making money, people are making money off of it. So it's a big money grab and you're having these kids and they do get the kids in front of, you know, college coaches, pro scouts, you know, whatever, but these things are popping up everywhere and they're encouraging kids to do it. Baseball is is a big one. You know, you're playing baseball, uh, especially in the state of Kentucky, you're playing all spring and that's when our sport, uh, that's when the sport happens. And then you go straight, you end your season, you're going straight to summer travel baseball. But then sprinkled, once you get done with uh, summer ball, then you go to the fall sports and they're doing fall baseball. And then you sprinkle in these these camps where the scouts are, are watching them. These kids are throwing, you know, 11, 12 months out of the year. And for a, a sport like baseball, which overhead throwing is a traumatic event on the human body, it's not natural, these kids are breaking down. And I can't even begin to tell you how early. I'm, I've seen kids as, a, as young as 11, 12 years old having Tommy John surgery, which is just – Asinine. It's amazing. It's, it's I, unbelievable. I, I, I believe you. It's I believe, I believe every you get, single thing you say. And I get I get kids, you know, send them to the doctor and they come in and and the diagnosis is is a decrepit UCL, a owner collateral right. ligament, which is what referenced uh, Tommy the John. Tommy John surgery. And, you, That's and right. you're you're wondering like how's it deficient? A deficient ligament that they're they're eleven years old. How is it deficient? Well it's because they've been throwing constantly every every day all year long and it's 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 sad and that's so this is how just to re- reframe this for for us and anyone listening the the frenzy of the sport is leading in in a large part to people wanting scholarships for their correct, kids like correct. that's that's how our youth sports and sports injury talk yeah. is connecting to like our podcast and like do you see parents and I think this probably is a dumb question at this point, but 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 the question I'm thinking is, like, how much pressure do you see coming from coming from parents with with their kids? Uh, I, I it's majority parents because you you see the, the college coaches and and they get in parents' ears, you know, hey, if you want your kid to go to college, you know, they got to come to all these showcases, they got to come to all these camps, and so the parents start getting riled up, and okay, well, it only makes sense that the more we go to, the more eyes that are going to be on our kids. So the parents are pushing the kids. Hey, we got to go to, we got to go to this camp, and then we got during the week we got to go to your, your your personal trainer, you know, specialized for your yeah. Then, then there's that. Then there's that. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's outside of the camp. That's right. And then you you know it's just it's cyclical, and you just got to keep going and keep going. And the parents are, are putting the pressure on the kids. And if you're not, so if if the kid down the street is doing the extra training and doing all that, then you probably feel like like your kid oh, yeah. has, to, has to have You're that not much doing training enough, too. You're you not know, doing enough. Little Jimmy's out there working. Like, you got to get you got to get going. Side note: Do you think some kids are just better athletes? Oh yeah, yeah. and it's just genetics is genetics. Great. Plays okay, I, I've always oh, thought right. about that. Just watching my kids in soccer and this and that, I'm thinking there are some kids who play for their high school team. 
every fall, not even do a club. Yeah. And they're just better athletes. Oh, and, and, and they're you, faster. You hear the stories all the time, you know, so-and-so was lazy. But, man, he was he was the best player. No matter what, he stepped out on the football field, the basketball court, the baseball diamond. No matter what he did, he was the best athlete out there. Yeah, it's just genetics has a Sorry, lot. Sorry, everybody. Correct. Now, now you can work your way of to course, get to that level. Of course. There are, I mean, look at some of the guys, and I'll reference the NBA. The some of those dudes are freaks. LeBron James is he's a, he's a genetic, <laughs> athletic freak. Um, the the cat for the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, um, Giannis, um, the Greek freak. Yeah, the Greek freak, <laughs> dude. I mean, he's seven foot and he moves like a Kevin Durant. I mean, they're just genetic freaks. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. I did have someone tell me a funny story about. Uh, a college fair they were attending. It was just a college rep at one of the schools, and it was in Akron. And this guy walked by, and he was just like, was talking to them a little bit. And uh, he said he was going to go to the NBA. And of course, anyone who says that, you just kind of roll your eyes, like, no, no, you need an education. And it was LeBron <laughs> at the college fair, right? Oh, right. yeah. so you always hear the stories of where you, yeah. know, you get some teachers that you're not going to amount to anything, right? Sure enough, there you go. Um, so back to back to uh, being seen by colleges. Uh-huh. Is it true? Like, as far as how much exposure the kids need to have? Because it might be. I mean, they, they might have to get in front of all these coaches. But but how true is it, maybe, is a better way to put that. There's a sm- I, I want to say there's a small portion of kids that will get picked up at all these camps, I mean. If, right. you're, if you're good, they'll know, and they you won't have to go to those. If you're... If, if you're eye-popping at, you know, your high school level, because generally, you know, the, the, the bad thing is, is all of the high school seasons coincide with the college season. So it's really hard for those college coaches that makes sense. to yeah. get out there. But they still do. Word travels. People talk. Mm-hmm. If you're good enough, they'll find you. But, you know, these some a small portion of these kids do, you know, get picked up. They mature later in life. Um, they do get picked up at these camps. I that's. Yeah, I, I just. Sometimes I feel like there's just. It's too, too much. much. It's too, too much. much. It's too overwhelming. Much. Your body needs a break. Okay, not sometimes. I always feel like. Right. I always it's, feel like it's the too biggest much. problem is. Kids aren't exploring everything. You need every sport trains and focuses on different small muscles and if you're just constantly doing one sport it 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 focuses just on you know a certain you know muscle pattern and and then that's where the breakdown and that's where the breakdown comes in correct and when you you know when you do um you know you play football you 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 stop you know you're done that's the best you know one of the best things about football is there's no travel football that's right summer that you can't you know you're not playing it year round but you do get to go out there and do, you know, if you if you play football and then you go you go into basketball season, you do get to train, you, you more you, just more agility, you know, cutting and, and, and jumping on the hardwood. Not to say that doesn't happen on a football field, but it's just it's you're fine tuning, you know, smaller muscles for you know different sports. It's only going to help you, especially like baseball. Baseball, the best, the biggest thing is hand eye coordination for for kids. Playing baseball, hand-eye coordination is huge, and they get that at a young level, a young age. Playing baseball, and that's good for any sport: tennis, uh, basketball, g- golf, anything. Is it, it just helps? Let's say, let's give our listeners one thing, and it's not something we have prepared for at all, but it just kind of came to my mind, and that is, let's let's say we've got a pretty good basketball player, 
Mm-hmm. Ten years old, what should the family do? You're going to get all the pressure. The friends are going to be playing AAU year-round stuff. Like, what? What would a reasonable family do in this situation? First and foremost, you have to worry about the kid's health because you're not going to you're not going to be great at what. Especially, it's, you know, something as demanding physically as basketball. You're not going to be great if you're not healthy. So the, the parents have to step back and say, okay, we want to push our kid to be great, but at the same time, we got to worry about their health. So there, there are going to be cases where people specialize. I don't encourage it, but, you know, some people are going to do that. If that's the case, they, you have to let them rest and you have to let them heal. I was reading an article, uh, and it was talking about NBA players. You know, these guys – these guys are coming in the league now, and they're breaking down faster. Okay. Every year they see, they track, you know, how many minutes guys are missing for their their um, their teams, and they've noticed the trend started in 2015 where it was it was eye popping how many minutes rookies were missing, and it's only hmm. increased, and that number has surpassed itself each year. So obviously the highest number was last year. Um, rookies are missing minutes, and you know when it, in this article. They're asking why, and they're saying that these guys are breaking down. You know, they're 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 coming to the NBA, and their body is essentially a ticking time bomb. Your it's body gonna, can only it's it's gonna yeah. happen. It's just when, and, and you get guys like the, one of the injuries is a stress reaction. A stress reaction is it happens in bones, and it's a a breakdown of the of the bone right. before it's it's usually the stage before a stress fracture. So they're seeing these stress reactions. And then they just amount to, like, I'm a Kentucky fan, so Julius Randle, when he played yeah. for the Lakers, he had a stress reaction, kept playing in his rookie year, ended up having a, a, a horrible and then it's bad. tibula tib-fib fracture oh, and missed the rest of his rookie season. And when they, they referenced him in the article, it was because he came into the league broken down because that's all they're doing is just pounding on hardwood and these guys aren't, these guys aren't resting. That's crazy. I've got I've got one one final one final question. Um, what's it? What's I've it? got one too. So oh, you you ask yours keep first. Them come, keep them coming. So, do you think there are certain sports where there's more pressure on student athletes than other sports to get to college to get to the pros? Oh, sure. Um, the 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 one that stands out that that comes to my mind first, only because I I lived it, um, was baseball. You know, baseball is now. Really? Yeah, baseball is now. You know, you got rosters in college of teams of you know fifty, and so there's just more room for kids to to jump on now. Scholarship wise, baseball is worse. Not a headcount scholarship. No, it's not. <laughs> Le- 11, that's what I was going after. Eleven point seven in baseball in Division One baseball is that's all you get. All you get is eleven point seven with fifty people on a, on a roster. Usually, generally, you see f- between wow. forty and fifty kids. Oh wow. yeah, for eleven point seven scholarships. Correct. Correct. It's yeah, it's crazy. But I mean, it's not you know, it's not your money making. Baseball sport. players get A's, <laughs> right? A's in school. Right. <laughs> That's right. No, but yeah, you baseball is the one that sticks out to me because there there are more roster spots available. Um, it's a sport where it's not an expensive sport to play. So you know, generally, no matter where you're at in the world, you can play. You just need a bat and a ball and a glove. It's right. not anything expensive. So ki- parents will push their kids, you know, when it comes to baseball, playing all the time. And that's it's worrisome because of, again, I referenced earlier, overhead throwing is traumatic. So it, it's a dangerous sport to, to push kids to specialize in year-round. That's awesome. Great. Uh, I'm Great really, really, that's an interesting answer because I, 
If I had had to guess, I was going to guess the headcount sports first. But people but I, don't know. That's why they have to listen to this podcast. That makes, that's that right. makes really good sense. Yeah, they just. I, I think people don't know. I think they lump all college scholarships, athletics, all in the same. Yeah, the there's same so basket. there is so many different avenues when it comes to scholarships and, and sports. Uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, the one uh, one school or the one sport that goes unused. You know what the the number one college scholarship that goes unused I is? I think it was girls golf. It is girls golf. There are colleges. Yeah. Colleges have girls golf scholarships go unused every year. And golf's really not. I mean, it's expensive sport, which is probably why a lot of people don't play it. And that's the the sport you got to put in a lot of time because it's repetition, fine tuning. But that's uh, that's another avenue. You know, it's their scholarships that go unused. I really appreciate you coming here. I do have one final question, which is, like, what's it like? What's it like being our our B for B for B MVP? <laughs> Best-looking, most athletic employee at Beachwood. Jeez. Is that hard? It's uh, with I got to compete with Justin Kaiser. It's not easy. Um, well, he was—he's your top competition <laughs> he, right now. He is. No, it's gosh, B for B, man. That thing's getting—it's getting out of hand. I go in every year just thinking I'm getting a couple jump shots up, but yeah. get hit in the face, hitting the hitting the stomach, and all right, we got to we got to pick up the pace a little bit. Yeah, Start well, laying, I don't land a hammer down. I don't play anymore. That's our <laughs> that's our charity student versus uh, staff basketball. Awesome, basketball man! Game. Great causes that the kids donate to, and and they get involved in businesses, and it's awesome. Thanks for coming. We will take a break and be back with get more get schooled by Reeves and Ford. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Let's look at this topic from four different lenses. Take it away, Joel. All right, so if you're listening and you're a school counselor, a couple of things, actually. First, be knowledgeable about the process of athletic scholarships for incoming students. Talk to students about athletic money just as you would talk with them about other forms of financial aid. Make sure students know that playing sports in college does not automatically mean a full ride, quote-unquote, nor does a verbal commitment on the student's part mean a similar commitment from a college or university. Until that national letter of intent is signed, nothing, repeat, nothing is guaranteed. Also, help your students understand the number of students athletes in college versus the number of student athletes who go on to play professionally. If you're at a university communicate clearly and consistently with your with your families understand that they might be going through this for the first time when it's something you're doing every year it's easy to forget sometimes uh, how much families don't know be patient parents god love them tend to think their kid is the greatest athlete this side of michael jordan finally be honest don't overpromise and underdeliver let students know they still need to apply and put their best foot forward. And, it's, and Mark was awesome. I, I, I know that anybody going to St. Louis University is in good hands, period. Yep. If you're a parent, don't pressure your children. And if you are pressuring your children, stop pressuring your children. It's not your job to push them so hard into sports so that you can somehow live vicariously through them. Support them, love them, attend their games, but don't force them. 
Don't push them to the point of potential short-term and long-term harm. Understand that the vast majority of student-athletes will not attend college on full scholarships, and that's okay. Let them play for the love of the game. If playing in college and scholarships then happen, that's icing on the proverbial cake. And if you're a student, remember the phrase student-athlete. Student comes first. It's awesome that you're young, talented, and physically fit. It's quite a gift, really. And if sports have taught you tons of life skills as a kid, and now they're helping you fund your education, embrace that. Uh, yet understand that your education is what lasts. This week, I've been dealing with some sacroiliac issues in my hip, as I've been telling Joel for the last hour and a half. Uh, I'm almost 50. My body isn't what it is when I'm 19, that's for sure. But my education is still here. In fact, it continues to grow every day. Be a student first and an athlete second. Man, I'm jealous. It's good stuff. Let's take one final break. We're going to come back to Get Schooled by Reason Ford with some final words of wisdom for today's podcast. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reason Ford. It's now time for our final words of wisdom. Chris, take it away. Balance, balance, balance. Okay, sports fans, you might want your kid to have every opportunity possible. It's a competitive world, and you want your kid to be the best. Fine, but let's let's just think about what matters as you get older. I'll contend that being the type of person who finds balance in life and who understands priorities is the key to a happy and healthy life. You want that for your kid, don't you? If they need to miss a practice for a family event, for example, teach them that family is important. You have to have balance and putting all your energy into a sport will not only burn a kid out or injure them, but it won't teach them how to find better balance later on in life. Good stuff. This was a good episode. Learned a lot this episode. Yeah, I appreciate Mark. I appreciate Slusher. Um, I'm excited to be able to do this one, especially when I didn't know as much about it Mm -hmm. beforehand. But man, we have a good episode coming up for episode nine. I've been waiting since we started this podcast for this topic. When I brought this up today, I think you almost cried. I'm a little emotional about it. Yeah. Say it. Advanced placement versus dual credit. If I had a dollar for every time I've been asked, which should I do, which is better, I'd be a rich, rich man. I was about to ask you how many times you get asked that question I, every day. Every every day. We're going to go through the pros and cons of both, and we're going to talk about why you should consider both programs as viable options uh, for your high school education. So AP versus dual credit next time. Thanks for listening to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and we'll see you next time. I just hit my own my funny bone just now.
Hang on. Can't do podcasts. Was, was that, was that your sacroiliac elbow? It was the same you side. Need, you need Tommy John surgery. <laughs>